0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 224. Today's big Bible question, what happens when everybody does right in their own eyes? The importance of absolute truth. So hello, friends, and a joyful Friday to you. Deep topic today from a disturbing passage of Scripture. Indeed, almost the entire book of Judges, at least the second half, is disturbing because you know, like we discussed before, the whole theme of the book is that everybody in Israel was doing what was right in their own eyes. There's civil war in judges, wife stealing, violent rape, body dismembering, spiritual prostitution, and actual prostitution, and so many forms of abuse and violence that one loses count. Why is all of that in the Bible? Why must we read a book like this that doesn't always demonstrate a clear redeeming value in every chapter? And the answer is found in that very last verse, Judges twenty-one twenty-five. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Unfortunately, the situation is not resolved when a king comes. Saul turns away from God and is unable to repent. King David, a man after God's own heart, is so corrupted by power, lust, and his own sin that he commits murder. Solomon, wisest man on earth, displays incredible foolishness when he is able to acquire everything he wants to acquire. And the majority of the kings after them were no better, and most of them were worse, all of them doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes, and sliding further and further into depravity. Are we better than them? In some ways, I suppose we're more civilized. In other ways, maybe not so much. So many people in the church still make decisions and build their morals around whatever seems right or feels right in their own eyes, in their own heart, their own feelings. And they ignore what God says is right and pleasing to Him. This is as dangerous to us today... As it was to the Israelites during the time of the Judges. The postmodern West has been steeped in decades of opposition to absolute truth and the embracing of whatever seems right and feels right to the culture at large. The Word of God, however, points us to the existence and importance of absolute truth. Some things are always wrong. Some things are always right, and the book of Judges demonstrates to us over and over and over again, in as dark and disturbing a way almost as possible, the perils and depravity of ignoring the truth of God. Along these lines, John Piper writes, Without the conviction that there are absolutes that can be shared and made the basis for society, the only end will be anarchy where everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Therefore, the need for truth is a deep need of the human soul in human society. And Jesus came into the world to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he rose from the dead to vindicate his claim. Jesus has a right to tell us what is absolutely true, because in the resurrection, God proved him to be absolutely true. So let's read Judges 21 and see some more examples of the danger and depravity of doing whatever we feel like. Judges 21, verse 1. Buckle your seat belts, because this one is rough. The men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah. None of us will give his daughter to a Benjaminite in marriage. So the people went to Bethel and sat there before God until evening. And they wept loudly and bitterly and cried out, Why, Lord God of Israel, has it occurred that one tribe is missing in Israel today? The next day, the people got up early, built an altar there, and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. The Israelites asked, Who of all the tribes of Israel didn't come to the Lord with the assembly? For a great oath had been taken that anyone who had not come to the Lord at Mizpah would certainly be put to death. But the Israelites had compassion on their brothers, the Benjaminites, and said, Today a tribe has been cut off from Israel. What should we do about wives for the survivors? We've sworn to the Lord not to give them any of our daughters as wives. And they asked, Which city among the tribes of Israel didn't come to the Lord at Mizpah? It turned out that no one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the camp and the assembly. For when the roll was called, no men were there from the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead. The congregation sent 12,000 brave warriors there and commanded them, Go and kill the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the sword, including women and dependents. This is what you should do. Completely destroy every male as, every, as well as every woman who has gone to bed with a man. They found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead 400 young virgins who had not been intimate with a man, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. The whole congregation sent a message of peace to the Benjaminites who were at Ramon Rock, Benjamin returned at that time and Israel gave them the women they had kept alive from Jabesh Gilead, but there were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made this gap in the tribes of Israel. The elders of the congregation said, what should we do about wives for those who are left since the women of Benjamin had been destroyed? And they said, there must be heirs for the survivors of Benjamin so that a tribe of Israel would not be wiped out. But we can't give them our daughters as wives, for the Israelites had sworn anyone who gives a wife to a Benjaminite is cursed. They also said, look, there's an annual festival to the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and south of Lebanon. Then they commanded the Benjaminites, go and hide in the vineyards. Watch, and when you see the young women of Shiloh come out to perform the dances, Each of you leave the vineyards and catch a wife for yourself from the young women of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. When their fathers or brothers come to us in protest, we will tell them, show favor to them since we did not get enough wives for each of them in the battle. You didn't actually give the women to them, so you are not guilty of breaking your oath. The Benjaminites did this and took the number of women they needed from the dancers they caught. They went back to their own inheritance, rebuilt their cities, and lived in them. At that time, each of the Israelites returned from there to his own tribe and family. Each returned from there to his own inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what seemed right to him. So, that is a disturbing passage, right? Now, some might read Judges 21 at a glance and come away believing that the Bible advocates sexism in its most extreme form. But that's not really what is going on here. What we see in the last few chapters of Judges is the Israelites heading into absolute apostasy and ignoring all the commands of God and making all these dumb decisions and vowing all these dumb vows. So this is something we hear God lamenting and charging Israel with over and over in the book of Jeremiah that we're also reading right now, which is set hundreds of years after the book of Judges. Hundreds of years of ignoring and defying the commands of God. Why is the end of Judges so bleak and disturbing? Well, here's Pastor Tim Keller with a good answer. He says this, There's a gang rape of a woman that leads to not just civil war between the tribes of Israel, but genocidal destruction of whole towns and villages down to the infants, and plus the kidnapping of women. What's so strange about this, says Keller, is that there are no judges, no salvation, no nothing. Now, what's going on here? On the one hand, this is terrible storytelling. Now, when I say terrible storytelling, I don't mean I think it was just made up, but you see, this incident was chosen out of this whole period of history. Why? Why was it chosen? Now, when I say it's a bad story, well, first of all, in a good story, You have to have somebody, some character you get engaged with who you care about. You have to have some character you're concerned about. Otherwise, it's just a terrible-to-read narrative, and there's nobody here you care about. None of them are very good. They're very shallow. They're very uninteresting. They're very boring. They're very unprincipled. They don't stand for anything, and not only that, there should be some kind of crisis that's resolved, right? But the crises... There are only crises that come about because they're so shallow and uninteresting and boring and unprincipled. Why is this here and why would this be in front of this horrible story that comes right after he's talking about the book of Ruth? Well, it began to dawn on me, says Keller, and it has dawned on other people that there are no judges here in these last few chapters. Isn't that interesting? Every other part of this book is about God's salvation. And what the author is showing us, and therefore what God is showing us, is what we look like without his salvation, what we look like without him, what we are in our natural state. In other words, this is showing us the nature of sin and this right away actually shows us some things that are very, very surprising to us. And I would say Horrifying to us all these terrible things in judges, the book of judges shows us the horrors of sin and the depth of depravity that quote good religious people will go to when they follow the leading of their heart and not the Word of God There's something else the book of judges does for us too, and though to, though it's subtle it's actually much more hopeful so here's David Platt discussing the book of judges and the history of the kings of Israel and how their failure leaves the people of God longing for a savior. Platt says, so when you get to Judges 16 and you see the final one of these judges raised up from Judges 17 to 21 in this book, you don't see repentance again. You see in a sense God's people given over to their immorality and the book closes with that deafening verse Judges 21:25. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's one of the most depressing ends to a Bible book, and it's there for a purpose. This book is intended to show us that God's people in their sin are under divine judgment and in need of divine mercy, and no judge, no matter how great they are, is able to save them from divine judgment and show them ultimate divine mercy. It sets the stage for kings to come, none of whom will be able to do that either, prophets to come, none of whom will be able to do that either. The book of Judges leaves us longing, wanting, waiting for God to send one who is indeed able to rescue us from deserved divine judgment and is able to show us divine mercy. The book of Judges leaves us longing for Jesus, for God to come himself and to rescue us and show us mercy and change our hearts. So that's the book of Judges in a nutshell. So I say to that, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, and thank you that you did come. Let us continue in Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the house of the Rachabites, speak to them, and bring them to one of the chambers of the temple of the Lord to offer them a drink of wine. So I took Jatsaniah, son of Jeremiah, son of Habazaniah, and his brothers and all his sons, the entire house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the temple of the Lord, to a chamber occupied the son, by the sons of Hanan, son of Igdaliah, a man of God, who had a chamber near the official's chamber, which was above the chamber of Masaiah, son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. I set jars, felt... Filled with wine and some cups before the sons of the house of the Rechabites, and said to them, "Drink wine." But they replied, "We do not drink wine, for Jonadab, son of our ancestor Rechab, commanded you and your descendants must never drink wine. You must not build a house, or sow a seed, or plant a vineyard." Those things are not for you. Rather, you must live in tents your whole life, so you may live a long time on the soil where you stay as a resident alien. We have obeyed Jonadab, son of our ancestor Rechab, and all he has commanded us. So we haven't drunk our wine our whole life. We, our wives, our sons, and our daughters. We also have not built houses to live in and do not have vineyard, field, or seed. But we have lived in tents and have obeyed and done everything our ancestor Jonadab commanded us. However, when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched into the land, we said, Come, let's go into Jerusalem to get away from the Chaldean and Aramean armies, so we've been living in Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says, Go say to the men of Judah and the residents of Jerusalem, Will you not accept discipline by listening to my words? This is the Lord's declaration. The words of Jonadab, son of Rechab, have been carried out. He commanded his descendants not to drink wine and they have not drunk to this day because they have obeyed their ancestors' command. But I've spoken to you time and time again and you have not obeyed me. Time and time again I've sent you all my servants, the prophets proclaiming. Turn each one from his evil way and correct your actions. Stop following other gods to serve them. Live in the land that I gave you and your ancestors. But you did not pay attention or obey me. Yes, the sons of Jonadab, son of Rechab, carried out their ancestors' command he gave them, but these people have not obeyed me. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of armies, the God of Israel, says, I will certainly bring on Judah and all on all the residents of Jerusalem all the disaster I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, but they have not obeyed. And I have called to them, but they did not answer." But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Because you have obeyed the command of your ancestor Jonadab and have kept all his commands and have done everything he commanded you, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Jonadab, son of Rechab, will never fail to have a man stand before me always. Psalm chapter 7 verse 1. Lord, my God, I seek refuge in you. Save me from all my pursuers and rescue me, or they will tear tear me like a lion, ripping me apart with no one to rescue me. Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice on my hands, if I have done harm to one at peace with me, or if plundered my adversary without cause, may an enemy pursue and overtake me. May he trample me to the ground and leave my honor in the dust." Rise up, Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my adversaries. Awake for me. You have ordained a judgment. Let the assembly of peoples gather around you. Take your seat on high over it. The Lord judges the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity. Let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. The one who examines the thoughts and emotions is a righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. If anyone does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He tips his arrows with fire. See, the wicked one is pregnant with evil, conceives trouble, and gives birth to deceit. He dug a pit and hollowed it out, but fell into the hole he had made. His trouble comes back on his own head. His own violence comes down on top of his head. I will thank the Lord for his righteousness. I will sing about the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. Lord, our God, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. You have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You have made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name through the earth. Acts chapter 25. Three days after Festus arrived in the province, he went to Jerusalem from Caesarea. The chief priests and the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him, and they appealed, asking for a favor against Paul, that Festus summon him to Jerusalem. They were, in fact, preparing an ambush along the road to kill him. Festus, however, answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was about to go there shortly. Therefore, he said, Let those of you who have authority to go down with me and accuse him if he has done anything wrong. When he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. The next day, seated at the tribunal, he commanded that Paul be brought in. When he arrived, The Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges that they were not able to prove. Then Paul made his defense. Neither against the Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I sinned in any way. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, replied to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem to be tried before me on these charges? Paul replied, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as even you yourself know very well. If then I did anything wrong and am deserving of death, I am not trying to escape death. But if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then after Festus conferred with his council, he replied, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you will go. Several days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and paid a courtesy call on Festus. Since they were staying there several days, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying, There's a man who is left as a prisoner by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews presented their case and asked that he be condemned. I answered them that it is not the Roman custom to give someone up before the accused faces the accusers and has an opportunity for a defense against the charges. So when they had assembled here, I did not delay. The next day I took my seat at the tribunal and I ordered the man to be brought in. The accuser stood up but brought no charge against him of the evils I was expecting. Instead they had some disagreements with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man Paul claimed to be alive. Since I was at a loss in a dispute over such things, I asked him if he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held for trial by the emperor... I ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow you will hear him, he replied. So the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the auditorium with the military commanders and prominent men of the city. When Festus gave the command, Paul was brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa, and all men present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has appealed to me concerning him, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he should not live any longer. I found that he had done nothing deserving of death, but when he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him, therefore I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this examination is over I may have something to write.' For it seems unreasonable to me to send a prisoner without indicating the charges against him. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening. May the word of God build you up, edify you, strengthen you, give you peace and joy. And may it point you to Jesus. Good day and Godspeed.